0: If you have your Bibles, let's go ahead and open them up. Uh, James chapter two. Uh, James chapter two. As you're turning there, let me let me tell you what I I, I pray happens when we gather on uh, these Sunday mornings. Uh, there there are some things I hope that you would experience, uh, that that you would enjoy the people that you're spending time with. Uh, mm, mm, mm. mm. That, that definitely is not, and so uh, that dance move y'all just saw from me, it's his fault, not mine. Um, but I actually hope that you uh, have a good time. I really do. Um, I hope that uh, as we worship through song, as we worship through the Word, uh, that you would be challenged by it, uh, that you would experience it in a positive way. Uh, we pray for our kids that they would know that the time that they're spending in Merge Kids right now Uh, that it's more than just uh, about uh, being entertained, but they would understand God's great love for them and that that would move them uh, as they experience uh, God's love and have that play out in their lives. We want kids to know uh, that you have a role to play in the story of God today, uh, that God is putting people in your path to show His great love for. And we, we pray that those things uh, would happen. And, but more than all of those things, my, my desire, uh, and my prayer for us is that we would know God in such deep and abiding ways, uh, that, that we would find our delight in him, uh, as we pursue him again on Sundays through song and, and through his word. And, uh, because it's our delight that drives our lives. Our delight drives our lives. And I think if you pay attention to your life, uh, the things you delight in navigate you. Uh, And so my desire is that when we have this opportunity, that we would make much of Christ, that our delight in Him would grow and grow and grow, and that our vision of Jesus would bring us hope and delight. And that delight comes in knowing that all of our sin, both past, present, and future has been paid for on the cross of Christ that's huge news for us that's great cause uh, for celebration and I want us to know that peace and and that delight that comes in knowing that he loves you that that creator God who knows everything about you hasn't just forgiven you that he loves you and not that he just loves you uh in the way that sometimes we love our kids right Hey, I, I always love you, but I don't always like you, right? No, no, no. God is God is not like that. He always loves and He likes you, and He is for you. He has forgiven you, and He takes delight in you, and not not some future version of you, but this version right now. warts and all, uh, this this goofy, this ignorant. <laughs> The short-sighted, narrow-minded you, right? Uh, and I say that because it makes me feel good about me, because I'm the exact same way, right? That God loves us. And so my heart for you is asking, okay, God, how can we increase our delight in the Lord? How can we just keep filling that up? How can I help them see and savor and be moved by the truths that you tell us In your word, how can we do that? How can how can we make much of Jesus and it changes us? Not in the sense of man that was a good service that we went to, but but I am madly and passionately in love with Christ, and it leaks into every part of who I am. I I want these because I long for our delight to lead our steps. We want our delight to lead, and so if we delight in God we will understand why we step in the places that He leads. Uh, and, but if, we do, if our delight in Him is voided, uh, then, then we're going to struggle with understanding why we, we step in the first place in His direction, and really in any direction that, that we go uh, in life. And so this is why today uh, we're going we're gonna to chew on, uh, i give you that whole lead up to give you, we're going to chew on some pretty controversial v- verses this morning. Uh, that there are a lot of different ways that people want to kind of take this. Um, but what we want to fight for is understanding as we delight in the Lord, He helps determine our steps, and we get to see how these verses, 14 through 26, really do apply in our lives and how they work themselves out. And so let's pray, uh, and then we'll get going. Father, we come to You, and we are thankful and we are mindful of Your great love. And I pray that that would move us today to explore some of these verses that that we would otherwise want to fight against, that we wouldn't want to try to justify uh, our behaviors around. And I pray ultimately that as Your Holy Spirit, as He has been here, as He is here, that He would do some, some work on our hearts today. We thank You. It's In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, "Amen, all right so so James has been I don't know about you, um, but for me uh James uh, has been leaning on us pretty heavily uh, for a few weeks by by challenging us to examine whether or not our faith in Christ is genuine or not uh, and and now um, and he says, if it's not, you need to understand that you can be deceiving yourselves by believing you are saved, but really." you aren't at all. And like I said last week, um, it would be unloving of me to not challenge you as we walk uh, through these words that, that I, I don't want you deceived in that because there's a difference in, in looking and walking and acting like a Christian and actually being one. Uh, and, and James alludes that the difference can be subtle, but yet the direction and the traje- tra- trajectory of your life, thank you, Lane, I appreciate the nod of support, uh, nailed it, um, that he says that takes you to two different places. And so you need to be aware. And so he gives us this illustration. Uh, uh, we talked about it, uh, was it last week? He says, take a mirror and examine yourself in the mirror. No, this is chapter 1, uh, so it was two weeks ago. He says, take a mirror, examine yourself. And if you walk away and you don't remember what you look like, there's the problem. That faith, as it's working itself out, keeps you looking the same. And so if it's wavering, then you, you examine your life, And, and now again, uh, where we are in, in 14 through 26, uh, we see James saying uh, something, that, that while faith alone saves us, he says it's a certain kind of faith. It's a faith of a certain kind. And now, uh, it's a faith that produces something outward from our lives. Other places in the Bible will, uh, like for instance, Jesus will say, you examine the fruit that's coming out of your life. Uh, You you ask yourself, what kind of a tree am I, am I producing the right kind of fruits? Uh, James is going to use the word, he's going to use the word works, uh, and he's going to say as you work, there is a certain way that your faith plays itself out, that that works do not save us, but a faith that does not produce is a faith that will only deceive, and it cannot lead us into the fullness of life, and it will not lead us to uh, an eternal reward with our Heavenly Father. and. And so right out of the gate, as, as I um, start to teach this, I want to make sure, uh, if you decide to paraphrase me tomorrow, uh, let me tell you what I'm not saying. Okay? Because this is very important that you hear what I am not saying here. Uh, if, if you paraphrase me saying that you have to do works in order for God to save you, that's not what I've said. Okay? Uh, that's not what we're trying to do. In fact, you've misheard me. Uh, what I will say is that because of your faith in Jesus, you are saved. And your faith will play itself out in the workings of your life. Okay? That's, that's what I believe James is going to teach. That's the way we think here. Um, and so the outline we're going to travel through uh, is really just kind of working through four things uh, that, that faith and works is as they, they partner together. Uh, and his main point is that, that faith without works is really no faith at all. And so we have to start working through some of those steps that we take. And so uh, let's walk through this together. You ready, Lawson? All right, today's Lawson's first day on the board. And so uh, he's nailing it, by the way. All right, so here we go. In James chapter 2, he says this, What good is it, my brothers? Okay? Uh, And I remember last week we talked about playing favorites. Uh, He gives us this image of a guy that says, hey, rich guy comes in, you're like, oh, hey, come stand beside me, have this seat of honor. Uh, Poor guy, hey, just have a seat by my feet, right? So he's continuing this conversation. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food... And one of you says to them, Go in peace and be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body. What good is that? So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. So he says, but if someone will say, You have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and they shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that that faith apart from works is useless? Verse 21, Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness, as he, and he was called a friend of God. What a great compliment, right? That guy's a friend of God. You see, verse 24, that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way, was not uh, also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers uh, and sent them out by another way? For as part of the body, I'm sorry, for as the body apart from the spirit is dead, So also, faith apart from works is, what's that last word? Dead. I just want to make sure you are paying attention to the last word, right? It's dead. All right, so now here's what happens. If you're a rule follower like me, we get to to verses like this and we say, all right, I feel a list is coming up, right? I feel like you're going to give me the list of how I can make sure that my works and my faith are in step with one another. What is it, you know? Do I have to wake up at 5? Ah, I don't know. I don't like making it up at five, but I'll do it for Jesus on alternating Tuesdays, right? Is it, is it, do I need to start a Bible study? Is I need to come to church more? Is I need to come to church less? And I need to go do more. My, do I need to volunteer in a soup kitchen? What's, what's the list so I can make sure that my works and my faith are lined up together and I can be uh, a friend of God? Because Abraham clearly does those things. And now what we're going to find is this, this isn't what James is saying. He's not giving us a list. He, he, he can't, and now, let me tell you also what he's not saying. Because uh, he, he can't be arguing that works must be added to faith. He can't argue that. Because if he does, then what he's arguing is that the cross of, the cross of Christ is meaningless. Okay? So he's not adding to it. This is important. If James's argument is that in order to have faith, uh, we must add works to that faith, that's the opposite of the gift of the gospel. Okay? because if we can this is this is the argument that Paul will make that if you could earn it in your works, then all of a sudden you become you back God into a corner and he has to take you on um, because you 're just so awesome uh, and as we 've talked about here we 're not that awesome we 're not no matter how hard you try you 're not as awesome as what God requires in holiness and so uh so we, we don't we don't step through the door of salvation only to forget and get to work on cleaning ourselves up. Rather, the gospel saves us, sanctifies us, and holds us firm through the end. That is through faith alone. And so he's not arguing that faith must be added, that works must be added to the faith, but rather his argument here is that, that a genuine and a biblical faith will inevitably be characterized by the works we do in our lives, by the fruits that... That's produced, and so so before we, we get much further, let's. I'm a fan of defining words uh, so that we can be on the same page, and so he's using two words. All right, let's go. Ahead. I should have given you some blanks to fill out for these talk notes, but I don't, so you just have to add them. All right, he's going to give us two words we need to deal with: faith and works. Awesome. We're we're not there just yet, buddy. Uh faith and works. And so so what he says, let's define this. Okay, first we'll define faith that that faith trusts God and it obeys God. It trusts God and it obeys God. That's, that's what faith ultimately is if you try to boil it down into uh, six words or five words or less. It trusts God and it obeys God. That, that we'll, we'll dive more into why it's needed to be defined this way, but, but faith trusts God, obeys God, and if it doesn't seek to trust Him and it doesn't seek to obey Him, um, even, even imperfectly, by the way, then, then it's just not there james James will make it even more evident in four points he'll say that it's just dead and so so let's let's talk about works because the question is okay what kind of works are we talking about? are we talking about all the Old Testament law are we talking about just the the ten commandments are uh are we talking about um the classroom rules of my second grade teacher right what what kind of works what kind of rules are we trying to work through here and, and And if we'll remember, James has been fairly consistent up to this point about a certain kind of law that we're trying to live according to. Uh, He calls it the royal law. He introduces it in chapter 1. And the royal law is simply this. Some guy walks up to Jesus and says, Hey, what's the most important of the commandments? And Jesus says, well, the first commandment is this, that you would love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. That's the first and most important. Then he says the second is equally as important that you would love your neighbor as yourself. And so this is what James has been talking about since chapter 1, that we would live lives where we love God with everything and then that love for God would spill out in our love for for one another. And so so as we talk about Christ, this is uh, let's talk about works, this is what we're saying that works is a life of loving God and loving others. That's what it is. That my works is about it's a picture of my life of loving God Loving others. And so, uh, now like I said last week, God is, not looking, God is looking for progress, not perfection. So, so no one in this room is going to love God perfectly and love others perfectly, right? Anybody have that issue this week? Right? Anybody nail it this week? Just go ahead and raise your hand. No? No? Okay, good. Because if you did, it was a trick question. We were going to just like make fun of you for the rest of the day. Um, so, so, So my argument will not be, must never be that you add works to your faith to validate your faith. That, that's not what we're saying. But rather, legitimate faith leads to an ongoing love of God and an ongoing love of others as imperfectly executed as it might be. And where those two things don't exist, I implore you, and I think God implores you, to examine your heart to see if there is gospel-centered love residing there. We're not. And so, so there are four things we can say about faith through these verses um, uh, in, in the relationship of faith and works. And so let me give them to you. Number one. All right, we can go, Lawson. Number one simply says this. Faith without works is useless. It's useless. In fact, uh, look at the illustration he gives us in verse 15. If a brother or a sister poorly clothed and lacking in daily food. Okay, so, so now let me tell you what that doesn't mean, all right? Uh, We're not talking about someone that, if left to my own devices, I don't know how to dress myself. Honestly, I don't know how to buy clothes uh, that would look decent, all right? So that responsibility, thankfully, has been given to Misty, all right? I'm telling you, I would wear the same thing every day because I have no sense whatsoever, all right? Now, what James isn't talking about is some guy like me that just doesn't know how to dress himself properly, all right? He's talking about when he says you see someone poorly clothed, lacking in daily food, he's describing a person who is, has rags on him. That he's one day away from that disintegrating and walking around in nakedness. All right? We're talking about a person who doesn't have daily food. All right, So this is a person in the community of faith, because he's talking about if a brother or sister, right? You remember who's James talking to? The twelve tribes dispersed. The Christians dispersed throughout the nations. So he says, if you have someone in this room who is a day away of having no clothes, who has fallen on hard times, and they don't have food, they can't feed their family. So he says, if a brother or a sister is poorly clothed, lacking in daily food, if a brother or sister, I'm sorry, apparently I've just doubled that, um, because I wanted you to read it twice, apparently, uh, copy and paste was not my friend there. Uh, verse sixteen, and one of you says to them, "I love this. Go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body." Now, here's the question: What good is that? What what good is that? And uh, you see, where where there is perceived faith with no works, it's useless. And it's useless because God doesn't minister to either one of you in that case. Neither one. So in this scenario, both of you have an opportunity to be ministered to by the Lord. The person who's, in dest- who's destitute, who is one day away of nothing, uh, they are uh, in trouble. But when we serve that brother and when we serve that sister, they are encouraged, they are, in loved, uh, they are loved by God via the saint. And then on the flip side of that, the wealthy man is ministered to by God in profound ways because they get to experience the love that God is bestowing on another person. They get to walk with those who are, uh, and serve those who are hurting among them. And so, so I think that, that where faith isn't active, this is where things really start to break down in a hurry. And so here, here's what I mean by that. That if you've been given by God, Okay, uh, you've, you've not been given by guides so that you might constantly increase the size of your house or the size of your car or the size of your 401k. Okay, now hear me when I say that because some of you are like, wait, what? You know, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with those things. I'm not saying there's anything wrong at all with those things. Right? But but you, we need to understand that as believers we've been given so that we can live open-handed with those in need as a reminder that God bestows blessings so that we can bless others. God bestows blessings so we can bless others. So I'm not telling you you should feel guilty that you have a nice house or a nice car uh, or a big barn, right, or a 401k. Because those things, I can take you to other places in the Bible that says you are biblically obligated to prepare and to save and to gather for moments in your life. But what I am saying is that when we live open-handed we show to the world we show to God we show to ourselves that we are not enslaved to those blessings all right so this, that's what i mean right so can we all be friends again some of you just became not friendly with me and now i just want to be your friend again all right so 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 what james is saying here is that that what's happening is if you see the need and you say hey god bless you in your neck in this i i don't know if you're going to be warm today uh, you know what you should do? You should have dinner. That's what I do when I'm hungry. Right? You should put on some drawers today. God bless you. See you later. And I'll tell you. I'll tell you. Typically, how we do this? Uh, we do it in passing. Because to walk in the affliction of another person fights against our comfort levels, and so we throw prayers that way. Oh, I know they're going through a hard time. I'm going to pray for them. But what was the word we talked to you last week? That that we would visit the widow and the orphans in their affliction. And so the same thing applies here. That you would walk into the mess of other people's lives. So that you could be a blessing to them. And so... So faith without works is useless. And so as you travel with Jesus, you begin to see this explained. As we experience the grace and the mercy of God, as we rest in that that saving faith alone, our hearts begin to become transformed and changed so that our love for God starts to translate into a love for people, into a love for messy people and broken people. And you do that because God says, hey, I've done something in your messiness. I've done something in your brokenness. So that you can declare to the world how incredible I am. And the key here, again, I think it's, it's the fight for delight. Am I delighting in the Lord or not? Because if I'm not delighting in the Lord, then I'm delighting somewhere. And this is the, what the Bible will say is much of the time it's our possessions. And we store them and we hoard them because they become security for us. That's a different lesson for another day. Let's just keep going, because Cowboys kick off. You're going to get home in time to see them have like 60 yards of total offense in the first half. So, it's fine. Um, I'm just saying, it's 60 yards, bro. Alright? So, so, we don't just have to make it work. We, the more we fall in love with Christ, the more... Our faith is activated. And now here's here's the scary one, and we're going to spend a little bit of time on number two, but we're not going to spend really as much time on three and four, so you can just calm down. All right? So number two simply says this. All right? So, so faith without works. Number two, faith without works cannot save us. All right? So this is it's mentioned a couple places, but the argument is in uh, verse 17. Uh, it says this. So also faith by itself uh, doesn't... I'm sorry, faith by itself, if it does not have works, it is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Okay, so what does James do? He introduces an antagonist, uh, somebody who's trying to bring up a counter-argument. Uh, I don't know uh, who this person is. I'm just assuming if James is anything like me, he has someone in mind uh, that has brought this argument to the table. So we'll just name this idiot um, Chris, um, Chris S for, I don't know, uh, we'll... Uh, oh, there's two Chris S's. I'll let, if you know both Chris S's, I'll let you decide um, which one uh, is more idiotic. Uh, and so, so what James does is he brings this to the table and he, he brings this hypothetical. And he says, let's just say, hypothetical speaking, uh, there was some guy who would say that faith and works are like church and state in the way that we think about it. They should be completely separate. And the closer they get, the more dangerous it becomes. So he says, we've got to keep these things completely separated and this is what james does he dissects the argument and he says this show me your faith apart from your works and i will show you my faith by my works then he says you believe that god is one you do well even the demons believe that and they shudder do you want to be shown you foolish person that faith apart from works is useless was not abraham and then he tells us this, this moment of Abraham. And then he talks about Rahab. And so, so the, the antagonist comes in and he says, he says, faith and works are separate. They're not indications of one another. They are completely separate. And If you get them too close, it's dangerous. And so, so you have works, James. That's great. I have faith that the Lord will save me. And so James responds with this kind of idea that the first way by saying, okay, you have faith. Show me. Just, just show me. Show me where your faith exists. And it's this old, uh, I've decided I've just become an old preacher the, this week because there's this old illustration that, that preachers use all the time. It's the chair illustration, right? If you spent time in church, you've, you've heard this illustration. This is what all James is saying. He said, okay, you say you have faith, I have works. Uh, show me. And he says, I will show you that my faith is real by sitting in the chair. I'll put, it, I'll put my faith into action, and I will sit here. Now, all I'm asking you to do, as you tell me that you have faith, is to show me what it looks like. And he just says, take a seat. Have a seat in the chair. And so, so, so he counters this argument with, with, okay, you believe that God is one. Super. Super. He says, demons do that, and they shudder. Right? He says, and now here's here's what you need to know about demons. They have they have good theology. In fact, they, have, they they understand more about life with God than we do. Right? They they know more about the Bible than many of us, me included. Right? Because as we see them interacting with Jesus in, in the gospels, well, they know. They know that before him they are completely powerless. That demons beg him. To go somewhere else, please cast me somewhere else. It's not time yet, is it? It's not time for you to bring an end to me, right? And so he says, even the demons know that. Even the demons believe that this is a chair, and they shudder. That that, that the demons have better theology, and so, and yet let me just say this: that faith alone, um, my belief in Jesus, takes me to a completely different place of celebration than the place of torment that demons have. That, that my faith in Jesus brings me to a place they can't even fathom, an eternity of reigning and running alongside King Jesus. And so, so they have correct doctrine, but it's not saving doctrine. And, and that's what I, I fear some of us have. We have a correct doctrine. We know that this is a chair, but yet it's not a saving doctrine because we don't put our faith into that chair. So this argument has gone, faith and work should be separated. And James says, "Okay, show me your faith, and then secondly, don't just go there intellectually. Uh, you have to sit in the chair. And if you're claiming it will hold you, then uh, he finds these biblical supports uh, in the uh, to show the unity in that faith alone doesn't save you, but faith, um, but not faith that is alone. And so he talks about Abraham. And he simply says this, Abraham sat in the chair. And he takes us to this moment, and I don't know if if you don't know it, basically it's this, Abraham is super old when God finally gives him a son, an heir between him and his wife. Uh, Now, you want to talk about the griminess of the Bible. Um, There's already a son born to Abraham, but it was born through a maidservant. uh, And and so this is when people try to take control of their own lives. Uh, That's when really messy things start to happen. Uh, and so uh, Abraham already has a son named Hagar, uh, but he's been... I'm sorry, not Hagar, Ishmael. Uh, Hagar's the the lady. Um, and so uh, he has a son, but God says, hey, I'm giving you a son through your wife Sarah, or Soraya. Uh and, and so he walks with her, has this son, and God says, there's a blessing coming over this son. His son's name is Isaac. Uh, eventually, um, we will... Be the father of a whole nation. So as the sons growing up, God speaks to Abraham and He says, "Hey, um, today what I'd like you to do is start a journey uh, to the to a hill, and I'd like you to sacrifice your promise, my promise to you." And so what Abraham does is he sits in a chair, and he gets a donkey, and they go for a three day ride. And then they get off of the donkey, and then. They start walking up the hill. And it says he gets to this point where he starts to tie his boy up. And he has the, the knife in his hand and he's about to sacrifice his son when the Lord intervenes and says, stop. And this is what James' argument is. That, that Abraham's faith in God was activated by proving he was sitting in the chair by walking up the hill. That he was willing to do whatever he wanted, whatever he needed to do. And then he talks about uh, 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 Rahab. Let me just read you what, what Matt Chandler says about Rahab, and I love it. He says, if you don't know Rahab, she was a prostitute in Jericho. No little girl dreams of being a prostitute when they grow up. You become one because very wicked, evil, demonic, deplorable things happen to you. You are used and abused and treated like a commodity. Treated like a soulless recreational vehicle. Rahab in Jericho was used and abused. Women were already considered uh, second-class citizens, so imagine what a prostitute would be like. So, can you imagine the type of abuse she had to endure, the longings of her heart? And here, here, here are this. All of a sudden, in her life, there were spies being sent by Joshua to scout out Jericho, and they says, "Hey, we're going to conquer this massive fortified city." And Rahab, having caught wind that uh, the people of God, that salvation was coming, she began to help the spies out. And then she found out that word had gotten out that the spies were there. And so so she hid them. This is the story of Rahab. She hid them and then redirected them and put her faith, her small faith that this God would usher in what is new, that this God would usher in a new beginning for her. And and I love that, that Rahab is here because her act of faith is both small and huge at the same time because all that she did was hide some people and yet there was a blessing from God in that act an incredible blessing in fact uh, this is a life and death moment for her because if she's discovered aiding and abetting uh, these spies her life is in jeopardy yet her trust led her to protect, and even eventually, Rahab uh, finds herself in the lineage of King Jesus, and so, so, and therefore, in our our family. So, faith without works can't save you. Can't save you. And, and what do I mean by works? I mean, if if you're a Christian, if you say I'm a Christian, and yet I have no love for God that leads to love for others, even as imperfectly as it could be explained, then then I think out of love, you should stop calling yourself a Christian. That's, that's the way it plays out. That you got to sit in the chair. Well, I think that's a chair. I, I believe it's a good chair. I mean, I look at it and I, I know there's metal involved in it, so I think I can sit there. I know metal is strong. And James says, until you sit in the chair, you've not activated any faith in your life. You know it here, but you don't know it here. And he says, it's the heart that drives us. So, let's go, let's go to number three. Faith without works is ineffective. Uh, faith without works is, is ineffective. Now you can lay your head down if you need to. Uh, I've been, nod- you've been nodding off for a while. Um, so, so, one of the things I, I feel uh, I'm trying to press into us uh, is that all of the commands of God found in the Bible are actually invitations, towards the healthiest and the deepest life with Him possible. All the commands. So it's not as restricting as you've been led to believe, not as restricting as you claim to argue about. All of His commands are actually invitations into something much greater and grander than anything this life can offer. And so, uh, so, so this is what's happening here. God says, don't. Uh, and when God says, do. And when God says, pursue me, the invitation is this. All you need is found in that direction. All you need, so, so jump in. All you desire, all you hope for, is this way. And this is what God is inviting us into. And so, so we're, we're kind of like the kids on the swimming pool that are unsure about, can I, can I trust that I won't drown when I jump in? And God says, jump in, because if you stay on the side, you will never know the delight of swimming which is more fun? We can just take a poll right now. Which is more fun, swimming or standing on the water's edge? Swimming. There we go. All right. Now I know Cain is listening. All right, we're in good shape. So he says that's... So faith without works is it's ineffective. And if faith is meant to lead you into trusting and obeying God and loving God in such a way that it flows out of our lives into other people, the invitation isn't a bunch of, hey, quit doing these things, start doing these things, but it's see me. This is what God says in His law, in His commands. He says, I want you to see me as greater than those temptations. Pursue me, because every pursuit that you take away from me will not lead you where you think it's going to lead you. Treasure me, because all the other treasures that you seek pale in comparison to what I bring to this table. Number four, faith without works is dead. It's just, it's dead. Faith without works is dead. And so he says this twice. He says it in verse 17, verse 26. So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Verse 26, for as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also is faith apart from works is dead. And it's such a strong statement that James says it twice. That that works don't save you, but without them you really have no way of showing that your faith is alive. It's the fruit that's coming out of your life. That's, and I think that's a good question for us to be asking. What fruit is coming out of my life? Because I can be... Here's, here's the trap. I can be a good husband, but not a godly husband. I can be a good father, but not a godly father. I can be a good friend, but not a godly friend. And the challenge is they can look really similar. And we can high-five them, and we can pat them on the back, and we can say, man, you're such a... Great provider. But are you men, are you leading your families in the way of the Lord? Are you preaching the gospel to them? Not in a dominating, hey everybody, Monday night, six hours of Bible study, let's do it. Leviticus, woo-woo! Right? But are you caring for your kids in a way that reflects the love of God? Are you modeling In your marriage, the love of God in front of your kids. Not that that's your biggest motivation. I mean, it's it's a good challenge. But we can be good and we can be godly, and those two things can take you to two different places. Let's start wrapping this up, Swan. So, okay. So I don't I don't typically tell stories about my life, um, not because I don't have them. Um, but typically they're not as interesting as, or entertaining as you would want them to be. Um, and then secondly, I, there, there's a verse in, in 1 Corinthians that Paul is talking about what he was bringing to the table to them. And he says these words, and I love them. He says, Since I came to you not, uh, not saying anything but Christ and Him crucified. So, so my intent, and this is what, Missy reminds me of this, my job isn't to entertain, it's to preach the gospel. So I take that very closely. I have this quote, love it. It's a guy named Count Zindendorf. He says this. He says, "Preach the gospel, die, and be forgotten." And I'm like, "That's what I want to do with my life." So I don't. I don't typically bring stories about what happens in my life because I want us to lean heavily into the Word. But something happened on Wednesday that I want. I want to share with you um, because I got to play a really small role in it, uh, and then I got to watch. Uh, my wife and I got to watch Kelly uh, do something that we're talking about here, as we talk about putting your faith into action. So on Wednesday we do merge groups. Okay, the last couple of Wednesdays we've struggled. Uh, m- my family has struggled getting there on time, uh, even though it's at my house. Somebody's there to open it up. There's always an adult there. We're not just letting teens run wild. Um, uh, but but we. My, my son runs. Uh, well, my son and now Kana runs uh, cross country. And uh, the city or the school district hates me, and they want to make it on Wednesday nights. And, and I know it's just against me. Um, but but we're we're supposed to be at this cross country meet, and it got rained out. And so let me, as I'm telling you this story, I'm, I, I preface this with the provision of God that we weren't supposed to be there. When when whatever is about to happen, we weren't supposed to be there. Okay. And yet God knows and He has a specific role. So I'm home. um, We get the daddy daycare going. Everybody's there. I'm sitting there. We're eating stuff. And then Misty arrives whenever she wants to show up. uh, And so she comes home. And she's like... She's not frantic. But when she says, hey, she opens the door and she says, hey, where's Brandon? I can hear that and I know, hey something weird's about to happen. Because she doesn't normally. She's usually, honey, I'm home, you know, and we embrace, and it's very, I love Lucy kind of thing. Um, except I'm wearing the dress, and she's coming in from the club. Anyways, so <laughs> we laugh because it's about to get serious, all right? I'm just giving you heads up. She comes in, and she goes, hey, there's a woman across the street who's squatting down by the road. And I said, okay. And uh, so I go outside, and and I see her. Uh, we live on 1886, so it's just like a highway. And so for a person to be walking down the street is a rare occasion, unless you're just trying to work out, um, which is just dodge as many cars as possible. But she's sitting over, and, and I can see she's like this. And so I start to make my way over, and I'm like, God, wait is going on here. Um, and so I wave from a distance to let her know, "Hey, I'm I'm approaching." And she starts to come walking my way and she's she's just like this. She's holding her stomach. She just keeps coming and I'm like, "Hey, my name is Brandon. What can I do to help you?" And she says, "I'm having a miscarriage." I said, "Okay." So let's Let's get you in. So she comes to our garage, and she, I said, hey, do I need to call you an ambulance? Do we need to get in the car right now and get you to the hospital? She says, no, I came from there a day ago, and there's really nothing we can do. And we've, we know that, because um, this is part of Misty's and my story. About two years after Baric, we we were pregnant again. There we go. Found it! It's good, because I think I was about to just blubber cry, the whole snot bubbles. Um, but a couple of years after after Barrack was born, we were having another child, and we, we miscarried, and we went through that process, and, and God taught us a lot of good things about His care for us and, and how we view. Uh, I, I never knew what I thought about being pro-life and when conception started until you lose a baby. Um, so she comes in, and we start to talk and you could tell um, just by her looks uh, that that she's in a hard place uh, and she's done some some hard living so we sat down and first we're just sitting in the kitchen and we're trying to talk and and I'm like is there anything we can do for you right now and she says no and I said okay then is it okay if we just sit here with you in silence Says, yeah. So she, I'm like, okay, so where ultimately do you need to go? She said, well, I'm, I was trying, I got in an argument with my sister, and then I just got out of the car and started walking. And, uh, I need to get to where I'm living, um, Camp Bowie. I'm like, okay, So eventually we we'll, we can get you there. Uh, about this time, uh, Misty has, has called Kelly. She's, she lives next door. Um, I have one great neighbor that lives next door to me and this guy. Um. But what you don't know about Kelly maybe is that God has put in her heart a burden to serve young women who are pregnant. Amanda is probably, she looks about 25 to 30. I, I don't know her. 30? Alright. Uh, nailed that one. Um, but, but God has put her on an adventure uh, where she serves young women uh, who are pregnant and walks them through what can be a really challenging and, and confusing time of their life. And then they also, in Connecting Hope Family Center, they, they offer classes to people who have um, lost children. And and then they they offer uh, classes for, for people who have made the difficult choice of abortion and how we can walk through them in some healing and some forgiveness. But... So so Kelly is, I say this because Kelly is uniquely qualified uh, to, to walk with Amanda. And so about the time Kelly's on her way over, uh, Amanda says, Hey, can I go use your restroom? And I say, Okay. And, um, and this is when basically my role in this story ends. Um, because everything that's about to take place is, is Misty and Kelly loving her with the love of God. So Kelly comes over and we're talking, and um we're not not that we're trying to formulate a plan, but we're trying to figure out how we can best help and um so it comes time that she realizes this is we're, I'm going to lose the baby and and something something so oh my gosh, it's so beautiful, and it makes me so proud to get a walk with Kelly and Misty as Kelly knocks into door she goes can Can I come in there with you? And you want to talk about meeting... Come on, sucker. Suck it up, wuss. You want to talk about walking into the affliction of another person. Kelly sat with her. And I don't know what it looked like. I don't know how it was. But what a beautiful picture of something that is both tragic and beautiful at the same time. I believe. I believe so firmly. And God says, I love this baby so much. I'm bringing him home. And as hard as that is for us to understand, God is good. So, if you'll stop crying, I'll stop crying. <laughs> and so, Amanda gets cleaned up and. Then Kelly and Missy are going to take her uh, to wherever she needs to be. And wherever she needed to be first was a place in Lake Worth. They were trying to figure out because she's kind of in between some places. Again, she's she's in a hard place. And so they end up at Jack in the Box um, because who doesn't want Jack in the Box, right? Um, and they got to share a meal with her. They've got to love on her. And Missy was telling me as they were Dropping her off, she felt like God was just continuing to speak to her. And Missy had an opportunity to, to say, "Not hey." In Romans chapter six, verse forty-two, you know. But she goes, hey, "I, I want you to know that we weren't supposed to be at our house today. We weren't supposed to know that you were across the street today." And I want you to know that that God loves you and that as hard as this is today, He's for you and He wants to protect you. He wants to rescue you and He wants to love you. So James says, faith without works is dead. And it's beautiful. I don't say it to make much of Kelly or make much of, of Misty because they did something that I think very few of us would feel equipped to do, uh, and very few of us would feel brave enough to step into. But I tell that story because God says, hey, I love you so that you can love others. I love you so that you can love people that you don't even know. Because what I am doing in your life is so much bigger than what I am doing in your life. I'm moving you for the glory of my name. And here's what I know. I went to bed last uh, Wednesday night and my heart just hurt. But yet, God is good. My heart hurt for her, but yet she knows. And I don't know how long she knows, I don't know how close she will hold this to her. She knows. That someone has told her that God loves you, God wants to protect you, God wants to rescue you, God wants to care for you. She's been told that, but not only by word, but by action. So that's where we fall today. There's ways for us to show our faith. And we can pass by, we could ignore, we could call the cops. Or we can say, Holy Spirit, what are you doing? And He says, you'll find out. <laughs> Our desire this week is to love God by loving people. We're going to wrap up today this way. We're not going to do a reprise. I'm going to dismiss you after we pray. But if you need prayer today, we want to pray with you. We long to pray with you. We want to be a community of support with one another. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. that was sinister, bro <laughs> If you've never asked Jesus into your heart we want to we want to give you that opportunity today. I love you guys. We're gonna pray, and then I will dismiss you. Father, we come to you. we thank you we thank you that you love us we thank you that you tell us that that we should be examining the fruits of our lives. We thank You that we can't earn our salvation. We thank You that Your Son and His sacrifice and His resurrection is all we need. So Father, I pray You would make in us a people who love You deeply. And that that Love would spill out in ways that we can't even imagine today. Father, I pray You would open our eyes to see people across the street from us. I pray You would give us a spirit of of service and of sacrifice so that we don't just give token prayers to one another, but that we would pray together in battle. And that at the end of our days... We would be able to smile because we've made much of You. Father, we pray that be true. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, Amen.